Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we come to the conclusion of this little epistle, this epistle where the Apostle Paul is really dealing with the heart of forgiveness, finding Onesimus, a runaway slave, departing from Philemon, the owner. Philemon being one who was a Christian man, a Christian who was prosperous. The Lord had blessed him in many ways. But he was a godly man. He was a man who was desiring to please, to honor the Lord. And he recognized what it meant to forgive. It recognized how difficult it was to bring this runaway slave back into his fold and put him back into the labor, as it were, as a brother now in Jesus Christ after he had stolen money from him. And he had caused him then to purchase other slaves to be able to to make up for the loss of of labor uh, that Onesimus, because he was gone, uh, which incurred because of that. And so all of these things can make it more difficult to forgive the individual. And yet this is what the Apostle Paul says is required of us, that we be forgiving people. Paul says he could command Philemon to do what is right, But because Philemon and the Apostle Paul were were friends, and they were deep friends for the simple fact that it was the Apostle Paul that was used by the Lord uh, to bring about the new birth in the life of Philemon. Paul didn't cause the new birth. Paul was the secondary agent. He was the instrument that God used to bring the gospel to Philemon, and the Holy Spirit had regenerated his soul and gave him true faith that he might believe the promise of the gospel. He might be one who was born of the Spirit of God. And God uses instruments. There is the ultimate. There is the proximate. The ultimate of all things is God. The proximate are the things of secondary means. These things that God uses in our lives. He uses us among people to bring the message of the gospel. To speak to them. To encourage them. To come alongside of them. God uses us in one another's lives to bring about good, secondary means. These are the things that God has called us to then in one another's lives and to recognize that I'm not the one who is the agent of salvation. It is the Spirit of God working through the Word. But I might be the conduit. I might be the instrument that God uses in an individual's life. And so that's what happened with Paul and with Philemon, and now with Onesimus. And there is a great affection then that Philemon would have towards the Apostle Paul and Paul towards Philemon and Onesimus as well as being the instrument that God used. It created a bond in that life. And you understand, some of you recognize that. When you come to faith under a particular ministry, As a man is preaching the word of God, it's not that man that regenerates your soul, but it's the man that the Lord uses in your life. And so there is a special affection for that individual because of that. And this is what you find going on here with Paul writing this letter to Philemon, because now Onesimus, being a believer, and having to go back to Philemon, and having to bring the letter with him to Philemon, And so Paul is instructing him how to handle that. You can see the difficulty of that. There's always the difficulty. Sin brings all kinds of difficulty into our lives, and yet God has given us the virtue of forgiveness. 
And we are to forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven us. It's not easy. And I'm not making light of it. It's easy to say it. It's something else to do it. Just like this. That all of our problems would simply fall by the wayside if in fact we were those that lived according to this particular principle given by Christ. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Think about that. Your problems would fall by the wayside. Our problems often, most often, incur because we do to others as they do to us. And you did this to me, and so I'm going to do that to you. And we become venge mongers, seeking revenge, vengeance. How does that work out for us? It spirals us down a path that leads to more heartache and bitterness and sorrow. That's not the path that we are to pursue. The path that God calls us to is a path of love, of kindness, of joy, of forgiveness. These virtues that the Holy Spirit works in by the gospel. And we are instructed again and again and again. You think about that right in Genesis when God essentially forgave Adam and Eve and clothed them with these the skins, the animal skins, probably lamb's skins, reflecting the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We find Joseph forgiving his brothers who committed a heinous act against him, sold him into slavery, almost wanting to put him to death but then chose not to have his blood on their hands and sold him to the Ishmaelite slave traders who then sold him into Egypt. And God's providential plan behind all of that to raise him up to be one who was second in command of all of Egypt to provide for 75 people to come through Palestine into Egypt and then to go down to Goshen and to be cared for by Joseph who was second in command of all of Egypt. And thinking about what his brothers had done to him. And yet Joseph is willing to forgive. He, he wept over that scenario. To be able to see his brothers. He grieved at the fact that he saw them. And he embraced them. And he forgave them. And he says, am I in the place of God? Am I God? God has, you meant it for evil. God has meant it for good. To save many people alive as it is this day. We find this, beloved, throughout all of Scripture. Forgiveness, forgiving one another. We need to call upon the Spirit of God to convict our hearts so that we would be soft and pliable and ready to forgive. We live in a sin-cursed world. It's a fallen world. It's a difficult world. There are many different circumstances Sometimes something might work over here that it won't work over there with this particular individual. So you have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You need to be ready to bring a word of encouragement that is like apples of silver and settings of gold. You have to know and to understand a word that is spoken in due season. How sweet it is to be able to apply the word of God 
to an individual's life. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do that. We need wisdom. We need humility. Because essentially, forgiveness is a byproduct of humility. Prideful people don't forgive. It's the humble. The humble are those that recognize that they owed a debt to God they could never pay. That I deserve, of myself, I deserve, you deserve, damnation. That's what we have earned. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God in Christ Jesus is salvation, is forgiveness. The gift of God. It's not of works. It's not because of your particular stature in society. It's not the family that you come from. It is a gift of God. And apart from that gift, apart from the Lord reconciling me by the work of His Son, I'm damned. I have no hope of reforming my nature. I have no hope of returning to God. I have no hope to cry out for forgiveness except for the working of the Holy Spirit in the heart. And so it is in sanctification. Being able to forgive. Being able to reconcile. Now Paul says in Romans 12, as much as lies within you. So, in other words, the fault of not reconciling should not be you. There are some who won't reconcile. There's nothing that you can do about that. Personally, you can take it to the Lord in prayer. You can pray for that person. You can pray for your own heart. Because a lot of times we think it's everybody else's fault. Change my heart, Lord. Change the way that I think. Change the way that I view this. Help me be the conduit of forgiveness. Help me to be ready to forgive. Don't let bitterness grow in my heart. Beloved, you do nothing. If you do nothing in your prayer to this, in this degree and to this direction of praying that the Lord would not allow bitterness to grow in your heart, if you just do nothing, bitterness will grow. Bitterness will grow. You need to pray against that growing in your heart. You need to pray against the sins, the vices, the things that cling to us in this life. You got a problem with your mouth? Pray the Lord keeps your mouth shut. You got a problem gossiping? Pray that the Lord shuts your mouth. You got a problem that you're too timid? Pray the Lord gives you boldness. You got a problem of hard-heartedness? Pray the Lord softens your heart. Pray. Be active. Be proactive. Pray that the Lord deals with these things in your heart. Because we need it. Because every one of us struggle with every sin known to mankind in some way, shape, or form in our life. And so God grants this virtue of forgiveness. Philemon has learned that. Onesimus has learned that. Aphia has learned that. That's Philemon's wife. And Archippus, his son, learned forgiveness. Notice how many people that it affected. Notice how many people that it affected for good that Philemon received back Onesimus. Philemon's wife, Philemon's son, 
Onesimus, Philemon himself, and then we have a litany of Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and the fellow laborers of the Apostle Paul. Then you have the household of Philemon. You have those servants in the home. You have those servants that are in the field. It's a ripple effect. It it affects more people than just you. Why is that? Because we're a body. We're interconnected. None of us are out on an island. And everything we do in one sense or another affects other people. Because we are a body of Jesus Christ. So, we have the virtue of forgiveness. And beloved, we ought to be active at forgiving. When your brother uh, repents, you shall forgive him. Repentance, metanoia, is first the change of the mind. When my mind changes, the direction of my life changes. My action changes. I go in a different direction when I think differently about certain things. When your mind changes on something, you don't do what you once used to do. You're going now in a different direction. Because your mind has changed on that. So essentially, first and foremost, repentance is the change of mind. And when Philemon has a change of mind uh, about Onesimus, of that now he is a brother in Christ, now he is repentant, now he is asking for forgiveness, now he is returning He's showing restitution that I am going to forgive him. I am going to embrace him and I am going to love him. And this is what Philemon did. Paul, if you notice our our text this morning, he says to him, he calls him a brother in verse 20, and then he says in verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, Paul was persuaded. He knew Philemon's character. He knew that he would receive Onesimus back. He said, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. What does he mean by that? Doing even more than I say. He will go above and beyond. He will not only do this in forgiving him, he will receive him back. He will embrace him. Maybe Onesimus now will be a slave, a servant within Philemon's home. Maybe his status would be changed. Maybe his position, his rank among those that were of the household of Philemon, maybe that would change because Philemon is desiring now to go even beyond what is required of him. That is a gracious heart. That's a humble heart. That's a forgiving heart. That speaks volumes to the person, to the character of Philemon, doesn't it? Paul, you you can see in the way that he writes to Philemon, he is tactful. I could command you, but I won't. Because I know your character. I, Paul the aged, remember the one who gave his life so that you might have life? In other words, I brought the gospel to you. I told you about Jesus, even though it could have cost me my life, but I told you. I brought the gospel to you. Remember Paul the aged, the one who loves you, the one in whom your soul loves? I want you to treat Onesimus in the same way that you would treat me. If you love me, then let me see it in how you treat him. You see how Paul is being tactful. He's maneuvering. He's, he's, he's clear. He's concise. He's tactful with all of his words. He's really playing a chess game, as it were, with Philemon. And he's moving the pieces in Philemon. Well, I'm in checkmate. And it's a good place to be. 
And I know that he's, he's feeling it. So even here, I know. I know what kind of character you are. I know that you'll go above and beyond. Maybe, the text doesn't say, but maybe going above and beyond for Philemon was to send Onesimus back to Paul. Don't know. I don't have any record of that. Just saying. Maybe that might be an aspect. Maybe the aspect was elevating him. Don't know. But there was that desire. Is that in us? Is that in us to go above and beyond? Do we do the bare base minimal? Or do we want to go above and beyond? This is required. So we have tithes and offerings. The tithe is a, is a certain percentile. The Old Testament records it as 10%. It's not abrogated in the New Testament. But that's where we begin. Then there is the offerings that go above and beyond. The giving to certain causes goes above and beyond. The giving to worthy causes. Necessary things in the life of the church. That we can contribute to. That we can go above and beyond the call of duty. That we can be actively involved. We can give of our time. We can give of our talents. Our treasures. We can do more than just the base minimal things. Many are, you know, how many times do I have to come on Sunday to remain a member? Really? Is that, is that the thought? Is that where we have digressed to as Christians? To do the bare minimal? Is that pleasing to the Lord? Philemon saw, and Paul knew, that going above and beyond the call of duty was a, a sweet-smelling aroma in, this, in the nostrils of our God. It was a blessed sacrifice. It was that of giving of yourself. You know, I know I don't have to do it, but I'm going to. Doing certain things because you said you would. How about that one? Blessed is the man who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. Changing because certain situations and it will no longer be profitable and I don't like that anymore and so I'm not going to do it. Even though I said I would, the godly man says it and does it. Mean what you say and say what you mean. This is what Paul is dealing with with Philemon. What a principle is given to us. Isn't it amazing? Nowhere does he directly command Philemon to forgive and bring him back. But he says, we, we all know. This is like an axiom. We know this is our Christian duty. We know this is our responsibility. We know the blessedness of being able to forgive and to embrace one another and to restore that fellowship. We know that. I don't really have to command you to do that. You understand that. And beloved, so do we. He says, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. And I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Now, this may be above and beyond. Maybe Paul coming to Philemon. Notice the confidence that Paul has. But maybe his coming might be this with Philemon. You're not going to stay in a guest room. You're going to stay in my house. 
We're going to attend to all of your needs. We're going to care for you. This reminds me of the Good Samaritan. And if he owes anything else, I'll do that too. That's going above and beyond, isn't it? It's a great example. That example is Christ. He is the one above and beyond by example incarnate to us. Who gave and gave and gave and gave and still gives. He's constantly giving to the church. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He gives the offices to the church to ensure that his word would continually be proclaimed to his people. Christ gives. Didomai. He keeps on giving to his church. His bride. And so ought we. This may be uh, one of the reasons and one of the ways that Philemon goes above and beyond. But notice something of Paul's confidence. Not presumption, but confidence. You see, Paul was a praying man. He understood prayer, how essential, how important, how necessary it is. He recognized that God moves through the prayers of his people to accomplish his will. He had seen this again and again in his life that God had answered prayer. And so he was a man of prayer and he was calling the people of God to be people of prayer. And notice the confidence that he has. I trust. I'm confident. I am persuaded that through your prayers. Now, through your prayers. This is a second, second person plural in the Greek text. So this doesn't only apply to Philemon. It applies to Aphia. It applies to Archippus. It applies to fellow believers in the church in Colossae. It is the people of God being a prayerful community. That is important in the life of the church. A church that doesn't pray is no church. The church is called to prayer. We are commanded to pray. We are to pray for so many different things within that God has given us in the, the, the paradigm of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, there is nothing ever to run out of with regards to prayer. And God chooses to work through prayers as a secondary mean to bring about His good perfect and acceptable will. Now, let me ask you this. What is your view of prayer? Is your understanding of prayer that of the teaching of God's Word? Do you understand prayer um, as that you come to God with petitions, casting cares, burdens, concerns upon Him, knowing that He is our Heavenly Father who cares for us, and knowing He is Almighty God, He is able to do what we request as well. That you come through the Lord Jesus Christ, asking according to the will of God, in conjunction with things revealed in the Word. In other words, we have principles revealed to us that we pray for this. What is your prayer life like? What is your confidence in prayer? Personally? Privately? And corporately, what is your understanding of prayer? You see, the, the amount of time that you may spend in prayer speaks to what you think about prayer. It speaks to how important that you think prayer is. 
Whether you come to the Lord casting burdens big and small upon Him, uh, it reveals what you think about the power of God and bringing to pass the things that you petition to Him. What is your view of prayer? Do we have a biblical view of prayer? Do we practice prayer in the life corporately? Do you do it personally? If you don't do it personally, then you're going to be one that groans when you come on the Lord's Day and the pastoral prayer is prayed. He prays too long. He prays too much. He prayed for this. He prayed for that. He didn't pray for this. I can't pray for things that I don't know. So somebody asked me, did you know that this took place? I said, no, the little birdie that usually knocks on my window, he went south for the winter. So if you've got something that I need to pray for, tell me. I won't know unless people tell me. There are sometimes things that go on for a week or two, and I don't even know. I'm not omniscient. I don't have a, a hotline to everybody to know exactly what's going on in everybody's lives. But you won't appreciate the pastoral prayer. You'll groan, you'll mumble, you'll complain, you'll sleep. You'll, you'll, my voice and the prayer, you'll, you'll zonk off. Well, do something. Do something so you don't sleep. This is not the place that we come for the sleep. It's come to worship, it's come to pray, it's come to be involved in the life of the church. So again, I ask, what is your prayer life like? Let me ask your kids. I ask your kids, do your parents pray? What would they say? If I ask your kids, do your parents pray with you? Do your parents pray for you? Your parents give you an example and principles of how to pray. What would they say? Revelatory, isn't it? Some people will ask, well, how did you know that was going on in my house? Well, I didn't, but I have your kid in my catechism class. And I can tell you a lot of things that are going on in homes just simply by how the kids respond to catechism questions. Just as we dialogue with the truth. I can tell you what's being done and what's not being done. So that is something that sticks to the heart now, isn't it? That we're called to be a people of prayer. Elijah was a man just like we are. He was a human being like we are. And he prayed that the Lord would withhold the rain. And for six months, the Lord withheld the rain. And then he prayed again and the Lord gave rain. There's three and a half years at one point that he prayed and the Lord didn't give rain. And then he prayed again and the Lord gave rain. He used the prayers of Elijah to bring forth His particular purpose in that. But he's a like man like us. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Uh, You that are rejoicing, things are going well, sing psalms. Sing praise to God. This is the calling that we have in prayer. We are to be a people of prayer. So Paul was confident that they would be praying for him. And as they were, that God would grant him to them, that he would release him from the prison. And so he moves on and he says, 
uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. Now he's referring to particular men that had labored with him in the ministry. Notice he calls Epaphras his fellow prisoner. He was one who was converted under the Apostle Paul's ministry as well. But as a fellow prisoner, Paul uses those words to speak about him literally being in a Roman prison. And so this is referring to Epaphras being imprisoned with him. He is a fellow prisoner. He's there for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was, Epaphras was the pastor uh, at the church in Colossae, which met in Philemon's home. So Philemon would have been well aware of Epaphras, Epaphras of Philemon as well. Now you think about this being tactful. Now there's more people knowing exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote to Philemon about what his actions were with regard to Onesimus. It's accountability now. Now Epaphras is brought into this. And he's brought in because it's a public scandal. And now he is saying, Philemon, uh, is this what you have done? Have you embraced him? Have you forgiven him? Have you taken heed to the Apostle Paul's message to you? Paul mentions this Epaphras, a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. It's not only literally in prison, but we're prisoners, we're slaves of Christ. We belong to him. The mindset of belonging to Christ as the good shepherd, I'm not my own. I go where he directs, where he guides, where he governs. This is the call as the people of God. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he greets you. He sends his greeting. I mean, again, the joy in prison, right? He sends greetings to Philemon as Onesimus is sent back with this letter. He also refers to Mark. Mark is John Mark. John Mark is the one who wrote the gospel of Mark. He is the one the Apostle Paul didn't want with him on his missionary journeys with Barnabas. And they had a strong contention because Mark at one point turned back and didn't want to go with him. But Paul says, I'm done with that then. I I don't want him to go along. But now Paul speaks about him and he he greets him. He reminds him of Mark. He, He brings him up and he also mentions that Mark is one that is needful to him in ministry. He makes mention of that in 2 Timothy. Moving on, notice uh, the people, Jewish believer Aristarchus. Aristarchus was at long fellowship with the Apostle Paul. He had been involved with the Apostle Paul on many missionary journeys. You think about the riot in Ephesus, Acts 12. Uh, Aristarchus was there, he's mentioned there. The shipwreck as they were on their way to Rome, uh, Acts 19, it's mentioned, uh, or Acts 27, again mentioned there, Aristarchus. He has long fellowship with the Apostle Paul, and he's a fellow laborer. And then he mentions Demas. Isn't that amazing, Demas? Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. John says, those who love the world uh, are not of God. If you love the world... He who loves the world is not of God. This is what Demas did. But at this time, Demas was involved in the ministry with the Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? He's Judas-like. He is one going through the motions. He's one being involved in the ministry. Paul calls him fellow laborers. 
He is one, sunergos is the Greek term. He is one together with energy. They come at it together. They labor together. And here was Demas. Beloved, this is like the five wise and five foolish. You always have that within the church. Five wise, five five foolish. They dress like the wise. They behave like the wise. They carry lanterns like the wise. They slept. They slumbered. They had on certain outfit, attire, because they were preparing to go to a wedding feast. They both heard the call, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. But when the bridegroom came, they had no oil in the lantern. The oil is symbolic in Scripture of the Holy Spirit. They went through motions. They played the game. They confessed the Apostles' Creed. They prayed the Lord's Prayer. They sang the hymns. They listened to sermons. And they went out unchanged. They were unregenerate members of the church. That at the last day, they were revealed to be sham. To be Judas-like. This was Demas. That's a scary proposition, isn't it? To be able to labor alongside the Apostle Paul and not even be rooted out at that point as one who had no true faith. But do you ever notice with Judas that it was the same way? Lord, is it I? Remember. And so said all of them. One of you will betray me. Lord, is it I? It was the one who dipped with me in the bowl. And it was Judas. Can you imagine the shock on the faces of the other disciples, the apostles in the upper room, that it's Judas? Judas, the one who had the money bag? Judas, the one that Satan entered? And he went out and betrayed the Lord. So it will be at the end of the age. It's when the harvest comes in. And the Lord sends out the reapers into the harvest. And then there is exposing that goes on. That not all those who are of Israel are truly Israel. And not all those who call themselves wheat were really wheat. They were Darnell tear. They looked like the true authentic thing until the end, till the reaping, till the harvest season. Beloved, would you be categoried among Mark and Aristarchus and Luke? Or would you be among the Demases? Would you be one who's putting on the motions, going through types, figures, but not having true faith. He mentions Luke as well. Luke was the beloved physician. He was a Gentile. You read in the book of Acts, Luke who wrote the book of Acts picks up 
about chapter 12, and you'll see that he is with the Apostle Paul all through the rest of the missionary journeys. He was a beloved friend, a beloved Christian man. He was an educated man. He was a physician, probably attended the Apostle Paul with all of his infirmities and difficulties. Paul had an eye problem that it's, uh, he speaks about in the book of Acts. He would have plucked out, they would have plucked out their own eyes and given him the Apostle Paul. Uh, they say historically that he had malaria and it gave him a difficulty in eyes where he couldn't see. Standing before the high priest, he didn't know it was the high priest. Blurred vision, maybe cataracts on his eyes. And it was Luke, his beloved friend, confidant, who was with him, who cared for him. Spiritual brothers in Jesus Christ, co-laborers in the cause of Jesus Christ, and one who attended to him physically, cared about him, loved him, basically gave his life to be with him. Live or die, good or ill, come what may, we're in it together. They were fellow laborers, he calls them. Fellow workers. Are we among this group, beloved? Are we among the fellow laborers in Christ Jesus? Are you laboring for the gospel? Are you laboring for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are you one bringing the gospel to a dying world? Do you speak about the things of Christ? Do you have a heart's affection for the lost? It's easy to criticize. I don't know why we criticize the unbeliever as if they could be believers. They can't make themselves believers. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do we love them? Are we compassionate to them? Do we bring the gospel to them? Do we want to see the salvation of sinners? If you don't go, maybe age, infirmity, do you give? Do you give to the work of missions? Do you give to see that the work of missions is done? That those do go out with the gospel? We can all be involved. We all must be involved. We must be fellow laborers with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the people of God. We must be involved. We're a body. Supporting, caring, giving. You might not be able to go up on the roof and put shingles on, but maybe you can make lemonade. Maybe you can't make lemonade, but you can pray. There's always something to be involved in in the life of the church. Paul closes with a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace. This is the sanctifying grace of God. There is a grace of justification where once for all time we are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. This is the grace of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Paul is blessing Philemon with that. That God's grace would be upon him in sanctifying him, in causing him to grow in the image of Jesus Christ. It's a great benediction. It's a great blessing that is pronounced upon Philemon. That is a great desire of the Apostle Paul for his beloved friend. This is what we need. We all need this. We all need to be more and more conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiving, praying, evangelizing, being involved as the people of God with the work of Jesus Christ. This is all compacted here in this little epistle. Principle after principle is given to us to be a people of action, people of involvement, people that are stirred because of the truth of God's word. Philemon would have been stirred by this letter, and so ought we. 
Are we people of prayer and involvement? Let us pray that God would cause it to be so. Amen. Shall we pray?